Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and eBooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Resilience Unraveled. And with me today, um, someone with a brilliant name, which I can't say. <laughs> so, we're going to try... I get two goes at this, and after that, I'm sent to the podcast, Naughty Step. So tonight we have Estelle Giraud. Oh, that's perfect. Oh, you're very <laughs> kind. So hi, Estelle. Nice to meet you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Um, so my name is Estelle Giraud. I am a scientist, a PhD in population genetics, turned uh, founder. Uh, of a health tech startup uh, in the health software space. And mixed in with all of that, I'm also an immigrant. I've lived in several different countries. I'm a mother, I'm an IVF mother and have been through a kind of health journey of my own, which influences what we're doing at Trellis Health. Um, I'm also really passionate about um, our agency over our own health and kind of health data privacy kind of we live in this information age and so you know we are, we deserve the right as as humans to really have agency over our own bodies and over our own health journeys and and that's really what I'm looking to create with trellis health but it's been impacted and kind of shaped through a lot of life experience okay great <clears throat> and where are you based because I can't because you're you're inside one of these brilliant soundproof booths as we were talking yes. about earlier. So I mean you could be in anywhere in the world. So you could say somewhere glamorous right. or you could just tell or me the where metaverse you are. even. Uh, I'm in Seattle. You're I'm in Seattle, Seattle based. Mm-hmm. So uh, so how are you coping at the moment with the changes which are going on in the US and your mission and how you're set up to work at the moment? Yeah, go straight to the chase. I mean, my attitude on this is really simple. And that is, it's a, I believe it's a fundamental right that we have agency over our own bodies and our own health. Um, I don't think that, you know, you can layer into that whatever kind of political, religious, any way that you want to think about it. But at the end of the day, it's your own body, it's your own health journey. And we as humans have a right to, you know, have control over that and, and you know, privacy and everything else that goes with it. But um, this is a really, this is a really important aspect of what we believe at Trellis Health. Okay. Um, that's good, because that, otherwise we would have stopped talking, because uh, I'm, yeah, right. I'm, I'm quite onto <laughs> the other side. 
<laughs> and it's the, the only joy of having like it because of the silence people so that's great that's fascinating so you're you're basically um so basically summarize for me what uh trellis health is about is is it all about I, ivf and pregnancy tell, tell me more yeah um and I'll, I'll try and give you the short version here at its core I believe, and I've experienced this through my professional career, right? Health is rapidly changing. We, and what we think about health data is rapidly changing. So you think about things like genetics or wearables or where a person lives, how they eat, all of these things impact our health. And at the same time, we don't have a good infrastructure layer for health data. And, and certainly, I mean, especially here in the US, it's incredibly fragmented. People have their health data kind of spread all over the place in dozens and dozens of different systems. There is no kind of national infrastructure. Um, and what that means is from a patient perspective, you don't get a lot of value out of that health information. It's not really used to serve you and allow you to manage and own your health well at all. Um, and, you know, there's a whole lot of things that you can talk about AI and kind of data-driven medicine and all of these things. But at the end of the day, we need good health data on people and it needs to impact and serve them. Um, and so we're, we're creating a platform for that. So we call it a health data hub. Uh, we're starting with pregnancy. And there's a couple of really specific reasons why we're starting with pregnancy. But... Um, you know, at a, at a high level, pregnancy is this really unique time point in a person's life where there is a lot of deep and broad measurements happening. It's kind of the first interaction with the healthcare system. And there's a lot of space for improving that user experience through pregnancy, uh, as well as kind of health outcomes. You know, how do we decrease maternal and infant mortality in this really kind of intense time in a really data-driven way? Um, but we're just starting with pregnancy. You know, the, the, the vision is that it's, it's servicing everybody. Right. So, so forgive me, because in the UK, we have a different way of thinking about health yeah. and <clears throat> metrics and such like. So are you saying in a sense that you own your own health data and then you can, you can effectively cleanse that data and then be able to show it to people who need to know it in order to give you the sort of health care that you need for yourself? Yeah. I mean, at its core, that's really what we're talking about. Um, at a global at a global scale as well. So like I'm a, I'm Australian by birth, if you can tell from my accent, okay. right? So I have I have health data in Australia. Like people are mobile these yeah. days, and we have different systems set up in different countries. So while the UK has you know the NHS and um, you know national systems. Uh, <laughs> right like imperfect as they may be um you can't also just assume that somebody is gonna kind of be born live and die within one system and so if we're to move around as a species you know live in different places have mobile lifestyles doesn't it make sense that all of that rich health information comes with us uh as we move through life so, I mean, even on a holiday, for example, so because right. this is often the thing, isn't it? You go on holiday, something happens to you and then, you know, people, because you can't, maybe can't talk you, and then you, right. either your wishes are ignored or actually allergies are missed and such like. So it's, 
I like this. I think it's a great idea. It's sort of empowering you to have your own agency over your own health data. Exactly. Is that what it is? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, our mission is to empower people to see and connect with their health. Uh, And those are two things that are traditionally very difficult to do. You know, your health is this abstract thing. We don't think a lot about it until we're sick. And it really helps to have kind of all of that data at your fingertips, you can see it, you can see what's going on with it. And that allows people to, to connect with it in new ways. And at the end of the day, then own that health journey. So, so is it only medical health or do you, for example, would you have uh, complementary health therapies and that sort of thing as part of these records? Cause oh, you're nodding. That's interesting. Tell me more. Yeah. So I also have a thesis, you know, I'm not an MD. Uh, I I come at this from a patient perspective and from a data science perspective. But um, my kind of philosophy on this is that health is, 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 far more about kind of functional medicine and holistic health. It's it's not just, you know, when we go to the doctor and they give us a bunch of blood tests and that's it, we walk out and that's our health, right? It's um, mental health, it's mm. diet, it's stress, it's sleep, it's social determinants of health, it's, you know, community, all of these things really impact our health. And, um, you know, we've gone through this, uh, like, you know, uh, 50 years ago, I don't know how many decades ago, but people would have one doctor that they Mm. saw. And that one doctor probably saw their family for generations and had all of this kind of baked knowledge about this person and their health in their head from stories from, you know, whatever else. And, and in today's medical system, we don't have that because it's been fractured into all of these specialities uh, and, and, you know, fragmented out. So you might have an app for mental health and see a specialist for something else. And then, you know, it's, and it's all different people and all different systems. And I think we are slowly starting to realize that health needs to bring that all together, you know, to talk about truly kind of managing your health, it needs to be holistic. And I think what, so there's two, there's thousands of <laughs> in ideas. So, but I suppose the th- first thing is, I mean, one of the things I noticed years ago was I actually got sight of my own medical records. Um, mm. And I'm sure you're going to come on to insurance as well, because especially in your world, I think insurance is right, interesting. But I find tons of inaccuracies. I mean, even yes. some, somebody else's waiting halfway through mine and you know, and I'm saying, well, I'm dead. I haven't had an operation. I haven't, I'm an, yeah, I'm, wow. I haven't had the operation in my life. Well, yes, you have. But I haven't. <laughs> I've got both of those wow. things left. <laughs> I can see them. <laughs> but I mean, so there's something about cleansing the data. And I guess mm-hmm. there must be something about working with insurance companies because they, they, must, they must want this, mustn't they? Yeah, you've raised two really hairy topics there. <laughs> Um, so the first one, there are inaccuracies all through health data. Like mm. this is not a UK problem or yeah. you know any specific country, right? This is just in the system. And part of that is that it's it's really difficult to fix without a level of transparency. So part of the aim here is by giving people the transparency, they can see their data just like your story. You know, you can start to have these conversations, well, that's incorrect, let's correct it. Um, and you know, my background, I, I glossed over it in the early part of the intro, but I'm a PhD in population genetics and I spent 
the early part of my career working at the forefront of precision medicine. So it's this idea of can medicine be really predictive, like in of one tailored to you to do that, to really realize precision medicine, we need vast amounts of clean, accurate data. Mm-hmm. And if the data is full of errors, um, we're not going to develop the right algorithms to do that. And so it's critical, right, to have really accurate data that we're basing any kind of models on for for kind of data-driven medicine. So that's the first part. The second part is who wants that data? Mm. Everybody wants that data. That is, this is some of the most powerful data that you can have on a person. This is more valuable than financial data. Um, It's, you know, predictive when you start to think about things like genetics, you know, this is insanely personal data, death, right? All of these things. And so, yes, everybody wants that data, um, which is why, you know, privacy and the ethics of this space is so important. So, um, but what you're doing, have, sorry, to, sorry to leap in, there was a massive no, no, scandal fine. in the NHS about the NHS selling our data to yeah. people. And we all had to jump in and stop, you know, refuse permission to do that. But if we owned yeah. our own data rather than letting your national health service or whatever the means are, if you had it yourself, you could, it would stop it being um, abused, wouldn't it? Exactly. I mean, that's the point of it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, and health data is bought and sold all over the place yeah, today. Absolutely. It's, you know, it's an, it's an enormous market. It's kind of like I've seen headlines, you know, it's the biggest market that nobody knows exists yeah. because <laughs> it's just not transparent. So every time I go to the doctors and I have a checkup or have a counselling session or whatever it might be, I'd load that information up onto the site and, and it would yeah. be held for me. But, but, but so I get, I, I get it. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, you're starting with pregnancy, so that you know that's quite interesting because you're creating a, a new record, I suppose, for two people at once. Um, right. So, so there's there's obviously some process that allows um, different systems to link together, or is it a manual process? I mean, manual sounds better in a way. It's so it's not a manual process. Um, it's uh, this is one of the nice things actually about doing this now, and and with kind of how we've we're tackling it from a pregnancy angle. This is all done automatically via APIs through, and and I'm speaking from a very US centric lens here, but um, the US has massive problems with interoperability of health data. And they've built these exchange networks that uh, operate within the hospitals and not to get too deep into the weeds, but um, it means that from a user experience, when users sign up to the platform, they don't have to go and call every single doctor that they've ever had. Um, we, they authorize us. They you know, can read our privacy policy and, and everything around that. And then we can go and collect and build this longitudinal health record for them automatically. Yeah. How, how are you funded? Uh, so we are we are a VC scale company. Right. So we're, we are early days still, but uh, funded that way. But what is important in this question, I think, is to point out our revenue model, uh, which is that we are consumer paid subscription. So going back to your earlier question around insurance, we're not taking money from insurance. And the, there's always this thing of, you know, whoever pays you, right, they yeah. they are the ones that are getting the value. That's yeah. There's all the incentives baked into every business, but healthcare especially. 
And so by us being consumer paid software, um, it, it simplifies and strips away a lot of those other ulterior incentives. You know, it's, we do a lot of work with younger, you know, millennial and Gen Z women, and there's this really strong pervasive psychology that's, if it's free, you are the product. Yeah, And I true. think it's, yeah. it is, it's a hundred percent true, but it's brought about by things like Facebook and all of these other platforms that, you know, monetize you. Yeah. And so by us being really clear about, okay, you pay us a subscription fee. That's how we make money. This is your data. We're not selling that on the back end to anybody else. We're not making money any other way. It's all about you and the value that you get from your health data. Mm. And so your organizational resilience comes from the consumer model, consumer paying for us, in a sense, because yeah. that, that gives you an independence in the marketplace, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. And it's, um, you know, I, I think simple is always best. It doesn't matter what industry, but in healthcare specifically, the simple you can, the, the more simple you can make your business model and the less steps that you have to get from where you start to profitability, the more organizational resilience you will have. Yes. Now, I, because I'm easily distracted. Um, <laughs> you said something earlier that distracts me and I, I've got to know more about population genetics. How, how do you get a PhD in that? And when can I get mine? I'm glad you think it's ultra groovy. Uh, you spend a lot of time at university and in, in a lab and in front of a computer. So, you know, I, well, that's, that was that's the, the PhD early... process. But what, what are you doing? Are you modeling genetics across po populations or something? Or are you making yeah. some sort of distributed link between the two or is an association? What's, what's that? So it's really, it's, I mean, it's, it, it's not heavy math. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a particular kind of math, right? Like it's genetics is, uh, I am not good with calculus, put it that way. Um, but genetics has these, you know, rules, very simple rules that are written in how we inherit things from our parents mm -hmm. and how we pass things down to our kids. And so when you look at a population level, like human populations there are mathematical relationships between all of us that exist um and whether that's ancestry you know what if you if you think about ancestry dna or 23andme or any of these companies you know that's what they're modeling is these mathematical relationships between different people based on their genetics um but it's also relevant for how we think about disease and human health right. and predispositions. And so you can map out things. If you've got the data across populations, you can do all sorts of, you know, really interesting, answer really interesting questions about human health by looking at genetics across the population. And so I guess, I guess things like uh, population longevity, wealth, mm -hmm. bullying, mental health, you know, which is there, I mean, they're the sorts of things you'll see correlations between life chances and um, wealth and capacity. So I'm, I'm, I'm reaching for words. I'm so interested no. in my ability to think, well, talk anyway. No. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's all of those things. And, and some aspects of our life, uh, you know, are kind of hard-coded in a, in a very specific way in our genetics. 
Um, and then other things are far more complex and it might depend on what we call environmental signals throughout mm. our life. But it, you know, where you grow up, how much, you know, pollution, what, you know, how you eat, like all of these other kind of things throughout your life will impact your genetics, but you can derive kind of algorithms for understanding all of that um, by looking at the data. Mm. Um, and it's, you know, it's everything from, are you going to develop a particular disease? Like, you know, heart disease, um, any of any any kind of disease that we can think about probably has some kind of genetic component. Um, but there's uh, there is height, there's you know eye color, there's kind of everything about us uh, to some extent or another has a genetic component. So what's the uh, sorry to trivialize that no, PhD of yours? But what's the weirdest thing that you ever found out that sort of tickled your fancy in a way? from that sort of population genetics question um i I want to bring it down to the most trivial level you know just you know because people have done doctorates you know like to to spend hours talking about esoteric stuff not the group not the really interesting stuff not the really interesting stuff you know i think we're still at the earlier stages of the really interesting stuff people have been focused on the medical stuff for you know up until now but um what I would love to understand is, is there some kind of genetic basis for personality, yeah. like personality tests Absolutely. and, uh, you know, it, Myers-Briggs or like whatever you want to look at. Mm. I wonder if there is some kind of signature there in our genetics that impacts our personality. I yeah. don't know. Like we don't have the science for that yet. No, no, that's absolutely fascinating. Well, I mean, you might argue that the, the work to investigate a soul is more likely to come from our genetics than from mm-hmm. our neurochemistry. So, you know, that's quite interesting. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's, there's a current row raging over here, which is why so many people from a certain school have ended up running the organi- running the country. Uh, and I mean, it, it does, I mean, yeah. what, and I suppose I'm guessing from your perspective, you, you'll talk about the environmental factors of going to a school, but I'm guessing mm-hmm. there must be a genetic factor as well, because you've got to get to that school in the first place. Yeah, but you could also argue that maybe that's kind of social structure and yeah. connections and class and 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 how people parent. Um, I so mean, do I you think, think it's parenting a, skill, or do you think parenting comes from <laughs> genetics? Yes and no. I mean, like this is you and I are going to have so much to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Buckle in, we're going to have a complete series of eighty-three thousand podcasts now. Just me answering, right. asking you daft questions right. about. Do you think right. this is genetic? No, not daft at all. I mean, I think there's like multi-general, like to you know to maybe like zoom out for a second. You think about this in in relation to anthropology, right? Which is the study of human society for like millennia. There are societal things, there's cultural, there's genetics, there's these long-term kind of imprinting and it all weaves together in this really complex, like human bodies and, and human societies are the most complex systems on earth we are only just starting to measure and get data on that system. And it's starting with human health. So like what we're doing with Trellis Health is one example of that. But you can imagine the next 50 years are going to be enormous. We're going through a a data revolution in human biology and human health right now. And we're just starting to do that. So I'm really 
really interested to see like what kind of a world and what kind of information do our children and our children's children have about this kind of stuff because yes. it's going to be dramatically different to what yes. we grew up with and i can i can hear a bunch of people clutching their pearls at the moment wondering about the ethics of all of this and yeah you know the yeah. rise of ai and you know Arnold Schwarzenegger appearing, shouting, I'll be back through a wall somewhere. That might be the wrong film, actually. But um, All the more reason for you as an individual to have agency and ownership yeah, over that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, to make yeah. Hmm. Oh, blimey. Wow. So so <laughs> what, what is it you want people to do? Is it you want them to go and have a look or sign up? Or what, what, what do you want people to, what actions do you want them to take? Yeah, I mean, so we, we are exclusively kind of focused in the U.S., right now um yeah but having said that i am you know really passionate about this area and the potential for this at a global scale and mm. so you know if people want to follow along and and see our journey um i'm on all the social media channels and um you know i think regardless of what trellis health does people i would love to see more people really kind of understand and, and take some agency and ownership over their own health and, and their health data. I think that's critical. So there's almost a, you're, you're almost looking for a, um, a movement to start in a way, aren't you, in a, in a strange sort of way? Yeah, I mean, it's, you'll, uh, people will see more about us come out in, in the coming months, but um, this, we're at a kind of tipping point in time, going back to everybody wants this data and the potential of this data. Um, we need to act quickly. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I think that's, that's bigger than what Trellis Health is, is doing specifically. Any way that we can accelerate that, the better. Yes. Uh, and we, we haven't touched on um, parenting and mm-hmm. women and all sorts of other stuff. I've just been so fascinated Resilience by... that comes yeah. with that. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. We maybe do that at another time, but um, I think that's been absolutely fascinating. It's, it's really, it's really well. I'll tell you what. Let me let me ask you a sensible organizational resilience question. So, I've we've met a lot of people starting up, and um, there's a sort of an entrepreneurial type of resilience you get. There's the mm-hmm. the first people who come in and start um, the process of building an organization and such like, and then and then you have to deal with funders, private equity, mm-hmm. venture capital, and such like. That takes a special type of um, mindset, doesn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's the reverse of the growth mindset, in a sense, dealing with VCs. Not yours, because I'm yeah. sure they're wonderful. But um, <laughs> how does this organisational model differ, would you say, to the conventional one where you see people who are working in an organisation or even a family firm? How does this VC thing run? How does it test you or test your metal? <laughs> no swearing. Oh, my God. It... Uh... No, I will. I will watch the profanities. No, it's it. It tests you in so many ways, but um, and I'm still learning this, right? Like I'm, I, I say the process of becoming a founder, the mental process of becoming a founder, is relentless. Mm. It's doesn't matter if you've got funding, doesn't matter if you're trying to get funding, doesn't matter if you're struggling to tell your story at whatever stage through that journey. Doesn't even matter if you're you know, exit and you're an IPO, the, the mental process of that continues. It's so relentless uh, that it's, um, it, it just, it gets heavy. And so you have to find a way to um, 
kind of deal with that and still continue to get up. Like you, you, it's just a process of continually getting up when you get knocked down or fall over or whatever. There's a song about getting knocked up and getting down again. Yeah. And everywhere I want, blah, 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 blah. Um, However, they do say in the burnout world that um, if you have a job with a sense of purpose and sense of meaning that you can cope with Mm -hmm. a hell of a lot more of that stuff. Would you, would you ascribe to that? I do, but I also say that as a founder, it's um, it's personal on a different kind of level. So when I was working for you know really big corporate company, there is so much of your identity and self worth and everything that's tied up in this broader mission outside of yourself. Whereas nice. as a founder, it's so much built from within. Like there is nothing outside. You're the one building it, especially if you're coming in at day zero. It doesn't exist. And so, and you will continually get rejected. So you have to find a sense of self-worth and what you're building and everything from within you, not from outside of you. And that process requires a lot of like self-searching and, and figuring out who you are as the person and really, really, truly accepting that. And that's what gives you enough strength to be like, okay, it doesn't matter if there's nothing here that's giving me a sense of purpose other than what's in me. And I keep getting rejected and I'm okay with that. So in a sense, you are projecting yourself as as the organization. So it's almost as if your walls or your boundaries are getting wider and wider and pushed out and out. And so have you had a flaw of something like perfectionism or... Um, oh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a recovering perfectionist. perfectionist. Yeah, most of us are. Once you go into real business, you get off, you get off that <laughs> horse quite quickly, don't you? Yeah, um, you can. But I mean, those yeah. things. I mean, they would be really damn, you know, really affecting your business, wouldn't you? Because the business, the organization itself, is a, if it's a if it's a projection of you, would be flawed in the mm-hmm. same way, wouldn't it? It'd be project. Yeah. We'd be projecting that flaw. Yeah, yeah. You are building from yourself out, not kind of. Yeah, it, it's just a different way of thinking about it. I also think like there is a really strong mantra stereotype, whatever you want to call it around what it takes to be a founder, particularly like a Silicon Valley tech founder. And I'm all for breaking that mold a little bit. Like it's, you know, element in an elemental sense, it's fiery, it's rocket ships. It's, it's full of fast intensity. And for me, I've, I've done a lot of work trying to figure out, okay, where is my resilience? What does that look like? And I, this might sound strange, but I associate my resilience more with water, like as an element, it's Mm. almost unbreakable. It Mm. flows. It's super creative. It will always find a way it's got a goal. It knows where it's going, but it carves these really big paths. And there's a sense of resilience that that's kind of, wrapped up in that because if I get roadblocks I'm like there is a crack somewhere there is a way somewhere I will find it through like it's I I just keep flowing yes no I I love that and it's uh, that's my why my book's called fluidic leadership because it's exactly that idea of also you have tributaries and they flow into a massive ocean and by its very nature it's slow Mm-hmm. And people think resilience is fast, but it's not. It's slow and relentless. That's the point of it, isn't it? Yeah. It's, uh, and that's why it nurtures so much. Uh, no, I am going to have to um, confess something, Estelle. I'm listening. I'm... <laughs> well, I, I would really like to really like to keep chatting, but you can't. <laughs> so I want to be uh, respectful of your time. So all I can do is thank you so much for for spending time with us today. Now, the site itself, site, site itself is called 
jointrellishealth.com. Is that right? Or is there anything else you want to um, get people to be aware of? No, that's it. And we're also on social media under the handle My Trellis Health. So for people particularly outside of the US, if they just want to follow along there, cool. that's um, that's a good place. Okay, and I've already linked in with you. And um, if there'd been a book, I'd have bought one, but sadly not. So I'm going to look up your PhD because that sounds fantastic. <laughs> so uh, it's, been, it's been a joy to talk to you today. And um, thank you much so much. And I wish you amazing luck. And hopefully I'd love to touch base maybe even a year and just see how it's going. Yeah. And, that would be awesome, especially if you're thinking to come to the UK. I know 60% of our ears are in the US. So there you go. Yeah. Okay, great. Brilliant. Thanks ever so much. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed. And if you're in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.